photography lovers and welcome again to the Fashion Photography Podcast. My name is Virginia and I'm your host and along with the gorgeous producer George, we're providing you with this podcast each and every week. Every Wednesday we're here with a guest and every other Friday I'm giving you some tips and little tricks on how to have a sustainable photography business. Today is time for part two of our interview with Brian. And some of the topics today will be how to steal a really good portrait. Steal, yeah, you're probably wondering why I'm using this word, but throughout the interview, you will find out. Our guest is also sharing with us about some chaotic shoots with lots of fun and awesome results afterwards. We're also comparing newspaper photo shoots to magazines photo shoots. You'll hear us discussing payments and profits on the long run. And here is a question for you guys. Brian will also answer it during the podcast, but I'm really eager to see what you guys think. You can share your thoughts on our Facebook group called Fashion Photography Lovers. Okay, so tell me guys, what do you think? Do you think that the images that we love the most from our portfolio are the images that our audience consider the best and they're most excited about? As I said, I'll be waiting to see your thoughts on that on our Facebook group called Fashion Photography Lovers. And now it's time to hear some answers from our awesome guest, Brian. Tell us how the the licensing thing happened to you. Well, I was originally with a UK-based company that kind of just started up called Kidsing. And they saw that I was shooting a lot of celebrity for New York Times. And they reached out. They didn't even know I had the Meghan Markle shoot. That was something I told them later. And they were like, oh, wow, okay. But it was cool that they were coming to me just based on the celebrities I already had. And yeah, they just reached out. And if you have the work, people will take you on. It's not a huge strain or anything. It's not like they have to, they're not doing a ton of work. To sell it afterwards. Yeah. Yeah. They'll put it up on an archive. Our partner is really cool in that they did like an Instagram story takeover where I, they promoted me and I think they, they're pretty good about that. That's really cool, actually. Yeah. But I think your commission agency, I'm signed with iHeart Reps. They have a pretty small roster because there's so much work involved with each person. Mm-hmm. Uh, licensing comes here and there. Each thing's dealt with like on a one-on-one basis. It's really just getting your archive set up that takes a little bit of time. But when you have a roster of photographers that you're actively representing, it's a big investment. My agency, iHeart, they're showing my work regularly. They're doing promos based on all of us. They're actively pitching me for different campaigns. You know, the payoff is much bigger. License a photo for $300, split the cost. That's what it is. For the other agency, they're doing pitch decks, conference calls, so much emailing back and forth, estimates. But the payoff on that, if it's a big job, even if they're only getting a percentage, I think it's typical to between 20 and 30% is what your agency will take. If it's a tens of thousands of dollar job, it's a nice payoff. Mm -hmm. Was there a time when you felt like something is absolutely perfect for licensing, but for one reason or another, the licensing company was like, no, this is so not working for us. I usually just upload celebrity anyway. They always take it. They'll take everything. There are times when I've submitted stuff that I thought was very relevant at the time and was surprised it didn't sell. But that could just be because 
I've done some TV cast that when their series comes out, it's a big event. You expect like, okay, these photos are going to fly, but there is also embargo times. So I, I can't share those until however long after. And at that point, maybe everyone's already done their press because the timeline is all on a, the premiere of this new season of something or mm-hmm. the premiere of a new film. There are a lot of factors that go into why something doesn't move necessarily. I found that images that are pretty classic and someone who's just constantly in the news can be really helpful. And older people do well because they don't change their look as much. <laughs> I shot Dua Lipa, who, you know, amazing shoot with her. And she cut her hair a month later. Oh, no. <laughs> and people want to know, what is her look now? You know, she's constantly evolving. So those photos sold a little bit, but not not how I was hoping. Mm-hmm. But that's okay. And good for her for constantly changing it up and keeping it interesting for her fans. Tell us a little bit more about this shoot. Oh, it was amazing. It was for Rolling Stone. It was at this hotel. And she was pretty big in Europe, but not very big in the States. I honestly had to look her up. I saw like, oh, wow, she's got over a billion YouTube views. People are definitely into this, but I wasn't hearing it. And we shot her on Friday. And then on Saturday, she shot Saturday Night Live, which is why she was in New York anyway. Mm -hmm. I think she's based in London. And to be on Saturday Night Live, you already have to have some sort of fame. But that definitely can help to put you over the top. And we got two hours on that shoot. It was for Rolling Stone. It was a feature. I think it was two or three pictures, two or, um, maybe four pages in total. So it wasn't small by any means, but I don't think that she'd necessarily give a non-cover story that much time after that day. Mm-hmm. Because she's already got the London fans as soon as she got the U.S. fans and her song blew up on the charts then she's only going to give that much time. Often, if I shoot an A-list celebrity, I've got 15 minutes. It's so quick. Mm-hmm. But if it's a cover story, they're going to say, okay, we need multiple looks. We're going to give you a few hours. I felt like I got very lucky with the timing on Dua Lipa. And she was just so cool. She has a great team, of her stylist and her hair and makeup. And the vibe was very much her. And she was playful and down to be a little sexy with it. Mm-hmm. I'm always very cautious of that now. Like, I I love a sexy photo, but I never want to be the creepy guy who makes a sexy photo without it being collaborative. Mm -hmm. I don't want to force that on anyone. Especially with the scandals now. Yeah. Yeah. And there was a moment where I was shooting Dua Lipa's in the bed, and I wanted to shoot above to shoot down on her. So I needed to essentially, like, stand over her. So I said, hey... I just want to make sure this is okay with you. If at any point you're uncomfortable, let me know and we'll stop. Mm-hmm. I only want to do what you want to do. And I don't want anything to be taken as creepy. I would so much rather have boring pictures and be an upstanding person than to come off as a creep and have some really sexy dynamic photos. So, But she was totally cool with it and, and really understood. And we ended up getting photos that were... Very sexy, very cool, but everyone felt good about them. I love what you just said. That you prefer boring photos but staying a decent human. <laughs> yeah. God, I want to hear that more often. 
You've got some amazing artists and celebrities in your portfolio, like Dua Lipa, like Casey Neistat, and one of my most favorite people on earth. He doesn't know that, by the way. Jimmy Fallon is like my comedy god. <laughs> so I want to know for sure about the photo shoot that you had with him. But before that, I know that we have to answer the question of the audience. How do you get to shoot this type of A-list people? Oh, I think a lot of it's being in New York City. It's being in the right place, the right time, and kind of knowing the right people. Most of my celebrity stuff started with the New York Times. And the editors there, are they're around my age, a little bit younger even. And we run in the same photo circles. They have good taste and they use people that are friends of mine in the community. Yeah, it's, a, it's amazing to have access to these people. I know a lot of these editors socially, too. Mm -hmm. I think also New York Times is amazing because unlike a magazine, they're publishing every day, not 12 or 10 times a year. So they have so much content and their rates are not as great. They're comparable to a magazine rate, but you don't necessarily get all of the resources I don't really get a digital tech. I don't get equipment budget, but I've invested in a lot of lighting equipment on my own that I'm happy to use if it's going to increase the quality of my work. I think the Times saw this and they started hiring people who would otherwise be working for magazines, specifically for the arts and leisure section. I think those editors are just really smart about that. So they started hiring people and said, hey, I know this isn't what you normally do, but we have access to this great A-list celebrity. Do you want to come in? So I saw people that I really look up to, like Ryan Pfluger and Jody Rogak, people who you would associate more with editorial than with photojournalism, mm -hmm. go in and make magazine caliber photos for the newspaper. I have a friend of mine who is just very wise with all of his advice. And I remember he told me when I was still working a lot for Wall Street Journal, The difference between working for a newspaper and working for a magazine is lighting. That's a huge generalization. It's not totally true, but there is some real truth to it is when you're shooting for the newspaper, it's usually really quick and on the fly, much more documentary. Mm -hmm. And then magazine is much more produced. But New York Times Arts and Leisure section has really melded the two of those. I've been lucky that they took a chance on me. And it's not as big a chance because it's not like a magazine where they only have eight or 10 shoots in the whole magazine. It's like, oh, we have eight or 10 shoots this week. Mm -hmm. So we're going to give one to you. Don't blow it. <laughs> and I've been lucky to I put a lot into all of mine and tried to bring up. I saw what these other people I look up to are doing and I brought a lot of production value to it. So that's how I was able to get those shoots. I already had a relationship with people in the newspaper world from photojournalism, but to get the celebrity stuff was a nice benefit. I think that many people will say that it's not really okay that they're not paying that well. But to be honest, magazines are not paying that well too. And I think in your case, it's even more fair, in my opinion, because afterwards, you end up with these images of amazing people that everybody knows, and you can license them sooner or later which is giving you even more profit on the long run. Yeah. When I started with New York Times, it was a $200 day rate. It was the same day rate as it was 15 or 20 years ago. 
Mm-hmm. And at some point in 2016, I think, or 2017, they more than doubled it. And at that point, it was like, they really just acknowledged, hey, this is worth a lot. We value you. And at that point, it's really close to a magazine rate. Often a magazine rate is about $500. And yeah, you're exactly right. And then you have the celebrity for your book. It's crazy. I've done stories that I felt were very impactful. I've photographed a climate change story in India over the course of five days. I felt like that was my greatest work. I shared it and it came out and people were like, oh, cool. And that was like a six or seven day shoot. I had to fly across the world. Each day was like a sweaty struggle to get around and to work with translators and to be in really difficult and heavy places. And then I shoot someone. Like a big name. Yeah. I think we did Michael Fassbender and Alicia Vikander. I maybe had 10 minutes with them. And the response I got on that was like overwhelming. I had so many people who I respect that never really said anything about my work would chime in and be like, oh my God, amazing. And it's that celebrity recognition that people Mm -hmm. value. That same guy said the difference between newspaper and magazine is lighting also said, I love celebrity shoots because they're pretty minimal amount of work getting 15 minutes. Maybe you have an hour or two of setup, but the shoot is quick. You're back home. You have an easy day and there's so much payoff. There's a lot of truth in that as well. They're also very high pressure, but I love those kind of situations. I did the cast of Stranger Things earlier this year. Ooh, so cool. Yeah, I haven't even put it on my site yet, so you might not have seen it. But I did go in early for that one. It was I went in like three hours ahead of time, 6 a.m. to this hotel. Mm-hmm. And it was the tiniest hotel room. They took the <laughs> bed out so that we'd have a little enough space to set up a nine-foot seamless. But it's six people. It's hard to fit that many people on just a nine-foot seamless. Mm-hmm. But we set up and my assistants, I normally work with all booked. So I use the recommendation of someone who is pretty new. And so we were just getting stuff together. Even with the three-hour setup, we were still testing things on the fly. And I had six lights going. I wanted this crazy kind of chaotic scene with lots of colors and lights and lasers and smoke. Initially, they wanted like a John Hughes feeling. But I also wanted like a party feeling. I wanted a lot of energy for the shoot. And then the cast shows up and all of these kids have such an entourage. Of course, they have their parents there, but then they also have all of their own hair and makeup and stylist and then their own PR people. Each one's got their own PR and then there's overall Mm -hmm. Netflix PR. So this tiny hotel room filled up with 30, 40 people. And we're trying to figure it out on the fly. And it's crazy, but it's so fun. And Millie Bobby Brown comes in and she's like, I already had a little bit of music playing in the background just to kind of like set the mood. And Mm -hmm. she's like, "Uh, is it cool if I put on a song? And I was like, sure. She's like, I want to play something before they get in here and start playing Green Day or something. Um, (laughs) She wanted to have control. So she puts on Lizzo, which was like, it was very hot at the time. And she connect her phone directly to my speaker and then mm-hmm. blast it like full volume <laughs> all of this is happening there's lasers coming in my assistant's blowing smoke around they're excited to see each other because they 
filmed and then they went off to their various things. So they're just getting back into the swing of like hanging out and joking with one another. But it's hard to get anyone's attention. They're just all teenagers that are like <laughs> having the time of their life. So it's total madness, but it makes for such good photos. It was so cool. I've done the like really clean shot against seamless before and it's fine and I'll continue to do it when necessary. But I love a dynamic, crazy shoot. And this one, the smoke ended up setting off the smoke alarm. So we had this like constant beeping happening. I just had them moving around and dancing. And my flashes are, you know, six flashes popping around in this room all at once. It was madness. I forget why I'm even talking about this. Oh, don't worry. Just keep the on high doing pressure. it. <laughs> and it was totally high pressure. You know, this is about as high profile as you get for television. Mm-hmm. And the editor was there too. The New York Times editors don't always stop in, but Christy Harmon was like, oh, I want to check this out. So she's there just like, what is this party you've created at 9 a.m.? <laughs> I'm shooting tethered just for safety. I love to do it to be able to like see what something's going to look like when it's processed. Mm-hmm. But I don't have a tech. I'm just like watching the monitor myself. I didn't have a stand for it because we brought so much equipment already. It's just like basically like on a little credenza far away where I can't quite see it. So I'm shooting like somewhat blind too, but it came out so great. I was really happy with the pictures and the energy of the crew. And it's one of those things where it would have been really easy to crumble and be like, this is chaos. This is going to shit. But it's also cool to be able to turn that chaos into something magical. And that's really what the best thing about any pictures is that element of serendipity. Even if it's something as subtle as like the wind blowing a model's hair, it can really make a picture. And I try to put myself in situations where those things can happen. Have you ever had a, a situation when you were really not sure if you're going to have a happy end at the end of this photo shoot? It's hard to remember everything. Maybe if I'm like flicking through, but even from back in the Wall Street Journal days, I was doing three or four assignments a day. A lot of them were really quick, sort of like go photograph this event that's happening in the city or... It was just such a mix. And I'm glad I did that. It really helped me to sharpen my tools to be able to shoot a variety of things. But I've done so many assignments and I, I'm sure some of them kind of went wrong. More recently, I guess I have enough experience and enough confidence that I know, yeah. okay, I'm, I'm going to be able to get a picture. And I now I'm much better prepared. I always ask for two hours of setup time for pretty much everything. Mm -hmm. And so I know I can get in there and set something up so that if the subject just stands on the X, I'll have at least a usable picture. And then hopefully you can develop from there and find something more interesting, more dynamic. But even if they just stand on the marker, I know I've got one thing. I think that's a lovely advice, actually, because you can guarantee yourself that you're going home with a, with some sort of a result. Yeah. And sometimes it comes in post. This is relevant right now, or I'm reminded of it because Kobe Bryant, unfortunately, just passed yeah. away. I photographed him in 2018. He was up for an Oscar for a short film that he co-directed, an animated short. And so I was photographing him and the animator, Glenn Keane. And that one, I asked for two hours of setup time, but it was at a press junket thing. So I only had maybe 30 minutes. Mm -hmm. I was in L.A., and I didn't have my equipment. I was out there for meetings and I just happened to pick up that shoot. My editor found out I was out there and assigned it. So I borrowed some equipment from a friend. It's not my lighting equipment. So I use these people 
make fun of them, but they're these flashpoint lights that Adorama sells. But they're amazing. I have the transmitter and I can change the power of the lighting mm-hmm. right there on the transmitter. I was borrowing an older pro photo pack from a friend and you physically have to go over and set the lighting and they're not mono lights, so you're setting ratios. And they're also both coming off the same head and I don't think we had a head extension. So it just was not an ideal setting to set up. And also Kobe is three feet taller than Glenn Keane and I'm trying to fit both these guys on a seamless and like a pretty short ceiling area. So like just struggling. Like I hope this comes out. This is at the time I didn't know it'd be such an important shoot. But we also strategically set up second scenario outside we shot them on seamless but then i had the second thing and i knew i was going to have to fight for it and i wanted something that just felt really intimate so we were just using the modeling light of this of the third strobe i just wanted them to barely step out onto this exit way still not where any fans could see or anything you really have to be aware of that when you're shooting celebrity but just far enough away that i could get some kind of ambiance from the outdoor and the outdoor lighting So I shot on the seamless really quickly, was really worried about the lighting, where the shadows were falling, everything, and then quickly rushed them over to this outdoor setup, cranked my ISO up to 6400. I'll test these things ahead of time so I know as I'm walking what Mm -hmm. I have to set my camera to, and just got in there and shot a few of them and snuck one at Kobe in. The PR never wants you to shoot like if it's ever a group shot, they never want you to shoot the superstar solo. Mm-hmm. It's usually the rules, but you know, I always try to break the rule whenever possible. So I was able to get just a couple of frames of just Kobe out, and I'm glad I did now. I mean, Glenn's amazing animator, but it's nice to have just that one shot of Kobe as well. But I was worried about that shoot, wasn't comfortable with the equipment I had, and I sat down and I spent a lot of time in post. Normally, I have my go-to style that I've created, and I'll apply that and make minor adjustments. But this one, I really started from scratch. I really wanted to make sure that the background and the skin tone, everything looked as good and professional as it possibly could to make up for my lighting not being what it normally would be. And it's still New York Times. I wasn't able to retouch. I wasn't able to take things out. I followed all of the rules of photojournalistic ethics, but work the color palette of the image and the tones to be as good as it could possibly be. And now I'm looking back on those pictures two years later to just revisit Kobe and they look great. I don't know why I was so stressed out on the time. They do look great. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay, friends. I really think that we should end our conversation here on a memorable note, both for Kobe and his daughter, and also because you should always remember to take bold and well-thought risks with your photography. Thank you everyone so much for listening to the podcast today. We'll be here with part three next Wednesday, so make sure to subscribe and share the podcast to make sure that you'll be notified the moment our next episode is up. Of course, if there is a specific topic that you would like to listen to here in the podcast, you can always send us an email through our contact form on photographypodcast.net. Don't be shy because we want to make this podcast useful for you and this is going to be of a great help for us. So thank you in advance and I'll see you again here 
next Wednesday.